Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for moving on our hearts to bring us here to this place by your Spirit. I pray that you would speak and minister to us, that you would help us to look at what it is that you say, that we would take it to heart, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray, O Lord, that you would work and continue to work a mighty uh, work in our hearts today. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 32. We've been going through the book of Exodus, and we've seen God do some amazing things. He has delivered His people. He has saved them. He has done miraculously in their midst. He has provided for them in order to bring them out of Egypt and make them His people and to come and to live and to dwell in their midst. However, not everything was right with them. And they did have some troubles and they had uh, some challenges and uh, some pretty serious ones as we're going to see today in this chapter. But I think that we can take what happens, and this is the account of the, the golden calf where they make the false god after coming out of Egypt. I think we can look at that and maybe use it in order to examine our hearts and to take inventory of our lives and to make sure that we are living a, an honorable and right and good life before the Lord. And so the encouragement today, and this is kind of the, if you want to take something away, this is what you can take away. The encouragement today is for us to tear down the high places in our hearts. And so we will look at that as we go through this account. Now, like I said, God had done mighty miracles. He brought judgment against the Egyptians. He moved through Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. He divided the sea. Uh, that was kind of a capstone miracle that he did there. They came through the sea and he, they, he delivered them. And so um, they come out and, and we've seen this before. We've touched upon it uh, that throughout the whole time that God is working they're complaining. Not always, but they just keep on going back to complaining. And it wasn't just complaining that they kept on going back to, as we will see, but they go back to the ways of Egypt. They go back to some idolatry. And we might look at them and say, wow, how could they do that after God had done all these miracles? How could they go back to worshiping an idol, making an idol and worshiping it? How could they do that? But idolatry had been a, tr- a, a problem throughout uh, Israel, throughout their history, from before this time and after this time, uh, even going into the New Testament, as we'll see. So, for example, just give you a couple of, a couple of examples. When Rachel, you remember Rachel's Jacob's wife, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? When Rachel was leaving her home, she stole her father's idols. And that was like a a big issue there. How could Rachel do that? But she did. And the Egyptians, of course, you know, throughout the world we see this. The Egyptians were worshiping false gods. And the ten plagues that came against the land of Egypt were just kind of touching each of those gods that the Egyptians worshipped. They worshipped false gods. The Canaanites, uh, who lived in the land that the people of Israel were going into, they worshipped false gods. And God kept on warning them to make sure to destroy all of that in the land so that they would not get caught up in worshiping false idols. So the Canaanites worshiped false idols. And then, of course, the people of Israel just had a constant problem of going back to these idols and worshiping them. Throughout the books of the Kings and Samuel and all of the Chronicles, as you read through the kings of Israel and the kings of of Judah, the people of Israel, they had constructed these high places throughout the land and 
one of the things they kept on going back to was worshiping these false gods on, in these high places. And God was telling them, you have to destroy the high places. As a matter of fact, in summarizing whether a king was good or not good, it, would make a, it makes a comment something like this. And for the good king, he destroyed the high places throughout Israel. And for the bad king, he did not destroy the high places throughout Israel. And so this was a constant problem. Even as we come into the New Testament, there is this idolatry that Paul and Peter and the other uh, apostles and the, the writers of the New Testament are dealing with among the people. As they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are confronted with people who are worshiping false gods. So we find in exa- as an example in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says... As, he's, as he's, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers, he says this, characterizing their salvation. He says, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's a positive verse there. Because really, this is what salvation is all about, right? It is renouncing all that is wrong and false and sinful, and it is turning to God, the living God, to serve Him. And that's what we do as Christians. And so this message of confronting idolatry comes to us as well. Now, in our day and age, like I've said before, we don't, uh, you know, construct little idols and put them on our mantles and we don't offer burnt offerings in our, our uh, fireplaces there. I hope we don't anyways, but, you know, this is not common practice. Instead, the idols that we set up are the idols that we set up in our hearts. The ones that no one can see, really, except, you know, if, unless it's evidenced by our lives. But an idol is anything which we set up in our hearts that requires our time, our money, and our strength. Anything that, we, that, that drains us of these things, or takes these things, or requires these things from us, might be an idol in our hearts. And these are the things that we as believers want to pinpoint and take notice of and to tear down. And so here's the encouragement for us to tear down the high places in our hearts. Now, you know, it really is more of a common thing than maybe we want to admit or realize. We do have these things in our hearts that we love, that we set our affections on, that take our time and our money and our effort and our strength, that take more of our time or some of our time that we could be devoting to God and serving God, they kind of takes, takes it away from us. And so we want to identify these things because just as the people of Israel, as they were coming out of Egypt, set up this false idol, we don't want to be guilty of having these false idols, these false places in our hearts set up that take away our love and our devotion for the Lord. And so we have to take inventory of all of the things in our lives and uh, look at the things that are just of this world and that are passing away, and we don't want to hold on to them. We want to be willing to let them go. After all, there shouldn't be anything that we are faced with that we want to hold on to. If God says, let go of it, we don't want to keep holding on to it, right? You know what I'm saying? If God says, let go of it, we want to open our hands, our hearts, and we want to let it go. We don't want to have these things harboring in the deep recesses of our heart. We want to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to look to him and only to him. And so we want 
with God's help and through the power and the ministry of the Spirit who comes and lives within us to clean out the closet, right? Of all those dust bunnies and dust mites and whatever dust creatures there are living in there, we want to clean out the closet. And we don't want to leave anything that is displeasing to Lord to the Lord in the middle of our hearts. So Moses is on the mountain. This is Exodus chapter 32. Moses has gone onto the mountain, and it seems like as we go through the account of Exodus and and uh, so on, that Moses made four trips up to Mount Sinai. And they were pretty long. Two of them, at least, are 40 days long. And this is one of those 40-day times where Moses goes up to the mountain, and the people are left down there wondering what has happened to Moses. I mean, 40 days is a long time, especially if uh, your leader has brought you out into a foreign land there, into the wilderness, and all of a sudden he goes up to the mountain and uh, he doesn't come back down very soon. Well, you know, you might start wondering things like, is he dead? You know, is he still alive up there? He didn't take a backpack. He didn't take any of the extra provisions with him. And so you have to wonder these things. So they're going up there. The people had already had the commandments. Now, you know the first couple of commandments, right? Thou shalt have no other God besides me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Yeah, they already knew those things. And yet, while Moses is up on the mountain, they say this to Aaron, make us gods. That's pretty sad. That is pretty sad. That's verse 1, 32, verse 1. Make us gods. And by wanting Aaron to make them gods, they are rejecting the God who has just brought them out of Egypt, and they are breaking the commandments which he has just given to them. It's pretty sad, but that's what was happening there. Now, something to me, anyways, even more troublesome is this fact that they attributed to God, to, they attributed to these false gods what God had done. Now, I don't know, if, hey, maybe we can turn off these lights, Kevin, up here, because I don't know if that's so easy to read there, but there are two verses. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Right? So, is that any better, Ben? Now you can't see me, right? Well, that's, that's not a bad thing, but... All right, anyway, well, oh well, it is what it is this morning, right? There we go. It's getting darker up here. <laughs> so, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it is the Lord who brought them out of Egypt, right? But in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4... After they make this golden calf, it says, he received the gold from their hand. That's Aaron. He took, you know, they brought all the gold to to them. He received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, that's, that's, that's an abomination right there. That's blasphemous. Uh, God had brought them out, and it was pretty evident that he had done it. And yet... In their time where they are falling into sin, they construct this gold calf and they say, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. And this is, uh, this, um, all the way into the New Testament, there's a similar account to this. And I want to read to you Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. You can turn there if you can turn in your Bibles really fast. 
or you can just listen. But Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, there's a, a parallel account here, in my mind anyways. It says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He is Beelzebub. They're talking about Jesus. He is Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sin will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Now, Back in Exodus, the people of Israel said, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt, rather than acknowledging the true God who really did bring them out of Egypt. In the account with Jesus, it was Jesus filled with the Spirit of God who cast out the evil spirits, right? But they said it was an evil spirit within him by which he casts out the evil spirit. And thus, these Pharisees and scribes, they were taking what Jesus had done through the hand of God, and attributing it to the enemy. That was blasphemy. And so this is dangerous ground in my mind, what the people of Israel are guilty of back in Exodus chapter 32. So why are they doing that? What is their problem? Why can't they see? It is obvious what God had done, and yet why do they turn away so quickly from the Lord. And, and maybe it's not so quickly a turning away from Him as it is kind of like, we love the Lord, but you know, let's kind of take in all of this other stuff with it and serve Him with all of the other stuff. And maybe that's what's going on. And maybe that's what goes on with us. You know, we have these high places in our hearts, these sins that we have established, these altars too, in our heart, and we kind of worship them within ourselves. But we're not really turning away from God. We still love Him, and He is our primary God, and yet we have all of these things that kind of vie for our attention within us. Why is that? Well, there are four things that I'll suggest from our passage in Exodus that might be or lead us to idolatry and establishing of high places. The first one is this, impatience with God. The second one is desiring old ways. The third one is loving pleasure. And the fourth one is being defensive. So I want to look at these four things this morning with the time that we have and examine, and hopefully we can examine our hearts and try to clean out some of these things that we have set up within. So the first one is impatience with God. Impatience with God. Impatience with God, I believe, can lead to idolatry the establishing of high places within our hearts. So here in the count, if we look at verse 1, look, in, look at verse 1, Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that will go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses is up on the mountain, He's been taking a whole lot of time, a lot longer than they wanted him to take, and they're getting kind of restless. They're getting antsy. 
And when they're getting restless and they're getting antsy, Moses is not there to guide them or to lead them. And, and really, they're in a new place, if you consider. I mean, they've, come, they've lived in Egypt for a long time, and they've come out of Egypt. Now they're in the desert. They don't have food, and they don't have water. God has to provide these things for them. And here their leader who's brought them there is up on the mountain. He's been there a long time, and they don't know what to do. I mean, that's reasonable. And yet, you know, it's kind of building up the anxiety within them. They have nothing to do. They have nowhere to go, and they don't have very much as, way, as for instructions you know, as to what they're supposed to do. And so they struggle here. And I think sometimes in our waiting on the, the Lord, we kind of get antsy also, and maybe take things into our own hands or just go back to old ways. And Being impatient can lead us away from the Lord sometimes. If we look at the Psalms, and here's just a few verses. Here are just a few verses. And, and I, I want to uh, just sub-point here. Sometimes we must wait a long time before God does something. And, and that's just the way that it is. We're impatient with God because he's taking a long time. But the truth is, sometimes it does take a long time for God to do something. From our reckoning. So here are some Psalms. This is, this is not a new cry. You might be here this morning and you have a situation in your life, whatever it might be, and you might be crying out to God and crying out to God and crying out to God. And where is he? Why isn't he doing anything? And, you know, people will, we try to encourage one another, well, God's, God's timing is not our timing, right? And that's true. And we try to encourage ourselves, you know, that way. But listen to the cry of the Psalms. Like I said, this is not anything new. But here we go. I'm just going to read through these and, and just listen to them. And maybe you'll be able to relate to them. So Psalm chapter 6, verse 3 says, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The next verse, Psalm 13, 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy exalt over me? Psalm 35, 7. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? Can you relate to that? Can you kind of see yourself when you're in trouble and you're crying out to God and, and it just seems like nothing is happening? There's nothing is changing, nothing is moving. How long, O Lord? And it's hard for us to be patient because we cry out to God and we want Him to answer us and to deliver us from our troubles right now. Right now. And He just delays sometimes. And in our impatience, what happens? We start to look around. We start to look around. God's not answering us. We're doing the best that we can. We're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. And we start looking for something else. The Bible has examples of this too. You remember when Abraham needed an heir and Sarah was barren? They took matter into their own hands. They got impatient with God. And Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. And we've got trouble today in our world because of that. Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he was about to go into a fight. 
And one of the things that they were doing back then was offering sacrifices unto the Lord for the Lord's blessing. They were going into the fight and Saul was waiting for Samuel the prophet to come so they could offer their sacrifices. And he waited and he waited and the battle was looming and he waited and he waited and finally Samuel did not come and Saul took matters into his own hands and he offered the sacrifice instead of Samuel. And God rejected him from being king. Because he acted impulsively like that. When it seems that God is not doing anything, when we are impatient, our hearts start to wander and we settle on other things. We settle settle maybe on sinful habits, like maybe in the past, drugs and relationships and entertainment and immorality and negative thoughts or whatever it is, we just kind of settle back where we were before. When God wants us to keep on looking towards him and waiting on him. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus affirms that all the things, the sinful things that we struggle with come from our heart. And if we don't tear down these high places, we will continue to fall into sin. He said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, Lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So we have to look to Jesus. We must tear down the high places in our hearts. Tear down the high places in our hearts. And let us wait on the Lord. I'm going to go through a number of verses here. And uh, hopefully... We can be encouraged by them. We looked at some of the verses where Psalms, in Psalms, David cries out to the Lord, how long? Well, now there's another, there's kind of a reprise to that or a, a repeat of that, but in the opposite direction. And he says in Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The next verse here. Psalm chapter 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Amen? Wait on the Lord. The next verse, Psalm 27, 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. This is the cry for God to answer. The next verse, Psalm 37, verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. And then Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord and keep His ways, and He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Wait on the Lord. So what a great encouragement that we have here. Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And then this last verse, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, And he inclined to me and heard my cry. We are his children and he loves us. He loved the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He loves us too. And when it seems like he is taking a long time, like Moses was up on the mountain for a long time, when it seems like he's taking a long time, he is still there with us. Let us wait patiently with him. Let us trust in him always without giving up. And we will see him do great things in our lives. So, they stopped waiting, they looked around for something to do, and what did they find? They found the only thing they knew how to do, and that was go back to Egypt. 
where they were before. And this brings us to our second point. The second thing that can lead to idolatry in our heart is this, desiring old ways. So, they, Moses was gone. They were in a strange place. They were in a challenging place. They did not know what to do. And so they go back to what was familiar to them. We see this in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 39, which reflects back on this incident here. And this is quite a telling passage of Scripture. It says, Our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And look at this next part. It says, And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They didn't go back to Egypt physically. But in their hearts, they went back to Egypt. And what does that mean? It means that they went back to the things that they knew, the things that they were familiar with, their old way of life, which they were asking God to deliver them from, and he did, but they went back there because they didn't know what to do. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we don't know what to do when it comes to serving God. But we mustn't go back to old ways. So, now, going back to old ways or familiar ways is not necessarily a bad thing. We love to go back home when we're on vacation, right? We, go, we can't wait to go on vacation. We can't wait to go on vacation. We go on vacation. We have a great time, but we can't wait to get back home. Because when we get back home, it is familiar to us. We know it. We are comfortable. We can just kind of... just. Whereas when we're out, you know, we've got to... We're tense and we're unsure and we've got to make sure we're dressed right and have enough food and money and all, you know, we're just kind of on the go. What are we going to do next? And got to follow our itinerary and all of this stuff. But when we get home, we're in a familiar place and we can just breathe and rest. There's nothing wrong with going back. But going back to Egypt meant something else. It meant returning to their bondage. It meant returning to their trouble and their pain. It meant returning back to their godless practices and their lifestyles. And sometimes when we have to cope, when we're in an unfamiliar place, when things are tense all around us, we fall back on some comfortable things in our lives. And sometimes those places of comfort are not good places for us to be. So, impatience can lead to idolatry. Desiring old ways can lead to idolatry. But sometimes, we must make sacrifices to follow the Lord. And what I mean by that is sometimes we have to take those places, those old ways, and there might, they might not necessarily be wrong in and of themselves, but we're talking about idols which take our attention. And we sometimes just have to take those things and do away with them, put them aside. In Mark chapter 10... Verses 21 through 22, there's this man that came up to him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, and um, he says, I've done it all. Then Jesus says, it says this, and this, is, this shows the compassion of Jesus and the sadness and the result here. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, the one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now this man had a lot of money. And it's not necessarily wrong, I guess, to have a lot of money. I wish I had a lot of money sometimes. It's not necessarily wrong. See, there goes, did I set up a high place there and I have to tear that back down? But you see, this was a high place. This was a, this was a point of worship in this man's heart. He, he loved God, he kept all the commandments, and yet he was unable to sell his possessions at the request of Jesus, the specific request of Jesus, and to give it to the poor. He was unwilling to do that. 
he had an idol in his heart that was more to him, meant more to him than God did. And he couldn't tear it down. So we have to be careful. Sometimes we have to make the hard sacrifices. It says in Mark chapter 10, and there's a number of verses that say something like this, but this is hard. Mark 10, 37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughters more than me is not worthy of me. This is hard. This, this reflects our attitude towards the closest things in our lives, our family. And Jesus wants us wholeheartedly more than he wants us towards our family. And that's hard for us. And so we find ourselves sometimes in an uncomfortable place. Following Jesus doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay. Sometimes following Jesus means going into the wilderness where it's hard and it's tough and we have to make the sacrifices in order to cope. So how do we cope? Let us not turn to the things, the money or the food or whatever it is, the people in our lives that give us comfort, let us make sure that we go first and foremost to our Lord and our God and find our help from Him in time of need. Let's, uh, I'm going to go on to our third point here this morning, and it is this. So first, impatience can lead to idolatry. Desiring old ways can lead to idolatry. Loving pleasure can lead to idolatry, and that's the point that I want to focus on now. Now, now this is interesting. If you look at chapter 32 again, and verse 2 this time, it says this, verses 2 and 3, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and fashioned it with engraving tool, and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, in this passage, what they're doing, the people of Israel, what they're doing is they're giving their money to make the golden calf. This money belonged to God in order to make the tabernacle and its utensils. But they gave it in order to make the calf. They offered their sacrifices, but their sacrifices belonged to the Lord. The sacrifices did not belong to the golden calf. They should not have offered their sacrifices to the golden calf. And they partied. Their joy was in their idol. You see the point here? They're rejoicing in this idol when they should have been rejoicing in their Lord. And so they're giving all of these things that belong to God, they're giving them to this idol. In uh, chapter 32, verses 18 and 19, it says, Moses said, as he's coming down from the mountain now, because he's up on the mountain, God says, you better get down there because the people have strayed from following me. In verses 18 and 19, it says this. As Moses comes down, he hears this sound. It says, it is the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing. They were singing and dancing to this calf. And then in verse 25, it says this. Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. The word unrestrained means out of control, mob-like, running wild, lawless, disorderly. 
Their joy should have been in the Lord, but they are rejoicing in this calf instead, this cow. And they had corrupted themselves. In verse 7 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. The word corrupted means they have damaged, they have ravaged, they have destroyed, they have ruined themselves. That's what God said to Moses. Uh, It's also interesting here that he says this, Your people who, this is God speaking to Moses, your people who you brought out of Egypt have corrupted yourself. And uh, I can just imagine being on the receiving end of that as Moses. What do you mean my people? What do you mean I brought them out of Egypt? You did it. It's your fault. Couldn't you manage them better than that? That's me in my rebellious uh, state there. But, But this is what God says. They've corrupted themselves. Your people whom you brought out. Um, anyway, I could say more about that, but sometimes, sometimes following God involves turning away from worldly pleasures and finding true spiritual pleasure in Jesus. Now, being able to laugh and rejoice and sing and dance and all of that, those are not bad things. I mean, God has put and given us the joy in our hearts. As a matter of fact, we are to rejoice always. We are to rejoice always. There, there is a constant joy that we are to experience and enjoy as Christians. But we must remember, it is not just joy for the sake of joy. It's not just being happy for the sake of being happy. It is being joyful in the Lord. It is being happy in the Lord and in what He has done. And whenever we rejoice and we are happy uh, excessively or with, by forgetting the Lord in something else, we are turning our attention away from Him. We're turning our eyes away from Him. And we don't give him the glory that is due him. And so every time we rejoice, let us make sure to rejoice first in God and then in the other thing. Um, There's a verse here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. And this is kind of a sad verse here, but uh, it sometimes characterizes the people of this world and the people around us and maybe even us. It says, they are traitors, headstrong, haughty. And here's the part. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And we have to make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus and we love him first and foremost. He is our Lord who has saved us from our bondage and from our sins. So let us tear down the high places in our hearts. Let us set our affections upon him. Let us make Jesus our greatest affection and let us fulfill what God wants us to do through our love. And our last point this morning is this. The last thing that kind of points to the fact that we've maybe set up an idol in our hearts. It is when we become defensive. When we become defensive. So, uh, we go back to Exodus 32. Moses comes down the mountain and he confronts Aaron. Aaron was the one who made this golden calf and he confronts him. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And here's Aaron's response. Now Aaron should have fallen down on his knees before God and repented of his horrible sin and just cried out to God for forgiveness. But instead, he does this. Don't let your anger, the anger of my Lord become hot. What are you getting so worked up for? You know the people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire, and poof, this calf came out. 
You see what Aaron is doing? He's going through this long explanation of, uh, well, it's their fault, and you know how they are, and I couldn't help it. They were going to mob me if I didn't do it, and I just kind of threw it in, and poof, you know, like magic, this calf came out. Well, maybe it was by magic, demonic magic, but that's what happened. And you know, sometimes following God involves letting things go. We have to let something go. If we find ourselves being defensive over something that is worldly and inconsequential in the greater scheme of things, then maybe that's pointing to an idol. Let us not make excuses. I can hang out with that person. They're not going to corrupt me. I can get into a relationship with them. I'll be all right. I love the Lord more than anything. There's nothing wrong with wearing that. There's nothing wrong with listening to that kind of music. There's nothing wrong with watching this or that. I won't be affected. I'll keep on serving the Lord. And so you know how it is, right? You know, there are these things and we become defensive over them. We make excuses for them in order to allow ourselves to keep them in our lives when maybe we need to open the closet door and sweep them away. Let us tear down the high places in our hearts. Let us let go of the things of the world. After all, I mean, we shouldn't get worked up over things that don't matter that much. We should be willing in our relationship with the Lord to, you know, what's a few extra bucks or what's, I can give up this music, who cares? You know, what, what is this to me in my relationship to the Lord? We need to make sure that we don't make excuses for worldly and sinful things, that we make them, that we let them go and we make Jesus our greatest treasure. And really that's the point. We want to make Jesus our greatest treasure. And so, here's the last verse that I leave you with. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. And this reflects Paul's heart. The Apostle Paul, as he's serving the Lord, it says this, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So let us uh, clean out our hearts. Let us tear down the high places. Let us remove any semblance of an idol that is there. Let us set our affections upon Jesus Christ, and let let us allow him to have his way in our lives. Praise be to the Lord.